Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Amen. Praise his name tonight. And I'm feel this feels great. Six to ten Bible study. I'm all over that. And you start taking four-hour Bible study. I'm, I'm I just might show up. And I'm all about that. <clears throat> I guarantee you sometimes it takes that many hours and a whole lot more to prepare. I told myself when I would start pastoring that I would be done with everything I needed to be done with on Sunday by Friday when I left the church. I was so wrong. Most times I'm here some on Saturday and I'm here on Sunday afternoon and all. And then with everything else Tuesday through Friday. The only reason why I'm not here on Monday is because there's actually stuff at my house that needs done too. And so I usually do all those things on Monday. And so I'm not telling you that because I don't begrudge it at all. I love this life. And I love what I do. And so I don't begrudge it one bit. I'm just saying in theory, it don't work the way that you think it works. Amen. Turn to Numbers chapter 11. Amen. Give honor to our guest tonight. I didn't have a chance to shake his hand before service, but I have intel on him that his name is Tom, and so we're glad to have you tonight, Tom. Amen with us. Appreciate you being here. And uh, so we're just grateful for him tonight. I'm going to turn to Numbers chapter 11, and uh, I think here, before we even get into this week, appreciate Bishop and Brother Mason uh, ministering and stepping in and to help and to, you know, keep the bread going. <laughs> Keep the oven cooking. Amen. We appreciate that. Be, be in prayers for us, you know, for travel and such. Um, Brother Mason said that they've had a lot of flooding down in Fort, Fort Lauderdale. And that's the, where we're supposed to fly into. And so, great God keeps all the snakes and the alligators in their proper places. And so on and so forth. So we'll definitely be around in the swamplands. Numbers chapter 11, and I'm going to read a few verses of Scripture tonight. Speaking of appreciation, and it skipped me really, I want to appreciate brother and sister Alex, Alex and Grace Mason, amen, for taking the kids to Ford Conference at Henderson this, this weekend on Saturday, amen, and uh, took the van on its maiden voyage for First Apostolic Church, and so we appreciate that, amen. And so we're glad that that's been afforded to us and opened back up some opportunities and, and means and ways, amen, for us. And so we're thankful. And uh, if you get ever have an opportunity, please take time to thank uh, Brother Frederick and his church for the opportunity to, to secure that vehicle, amen, from them, amen. Because they seem to be a hot commodity. Anytime one would come up, it's like it's gone. And then uh, price points were there as well. But God, God shined down upon us, and we're thankful. We're thankful. Numbers 11, sorry to keep you standing. <clears throat> but as Brother Osborne always says, that he'd rather, he says, we always say, stand for the reading of the word. He said, I'd rather you stand for the preaching of the word and set for the reading. He said, but we have people stand for the reading, they set for the ministry. So nonetheless, so you'll be setting longer than I will. So, and when the people... And when the people complained, it displeased the Lord. The Lord heard it. His anger was kindled. The fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed them that were in the uttermost parts of the camp. The people cried unto Moses, and when Moses prayed unto the Lord, the fire was quenched, and he called the name of the place to Berah, because the fire of the Lord burned among them and the mixed multitude that was among them fell a lusting. The children of Israel also wept again and said, 
who shall give us flesh to eat? We remember the fish which we did eat in Egypt freely, the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. But now our soul is dried away. There is nothing at all beside this manna before our eyes. Amen. For a little while tonight, to help the Holy Ghost, I want to minister this. And it's really a statement. It's an urging. It's an admonition. Don't compare your process to your past reality. Don't compare your process to your past reality. Amen. Let's, let's ask the Lord to help us. Father, we're thankful again, Lord, for this opportunity. God, it is always a privilege, God, to come here to worship, to hear the songs and the lyrics. God, that, Lord, reflect the word of the Lord and the spirit in which, God, people sing them with, Lord. And God, not just the talent, but the anointing that they play with. I pray, oh God, Lord, as we come to this session, Lord, tonight, God, this, this time of sharing the word of the Lord, we pray, God, that that same anointing, God, falls in this place between pulpit and pew. God, that there could be understanding and that there could be encouragement and that there could be, Lord, direction given from the word of the Lord tonight. And we'll not fail to thank you for it. In the lovely name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. And the church say amen. Amen. You may be seated this evening. Don't compare your process to your past reality. One perhaps of the least commendable marks of the children of Israel was their complaints. The book of Numbers is littered with the complaints of the children of Israel. I, I have been reading, uh, no surprise, but I have been reading this week in the book of Numbers. And I have been once again reacquainted with all of the grumbling and the complaining and the belly aching of the children of Israel throughout, particularly that's highlighted in the book of Numbers. They, they complain about things. They complain about people, particularly leadership that they were under. Uh, and, and many of these complaints happen because they compare their present to their past. They contrasted the two. Although their present is still short of what really God intends for them to be. In other words, they judge where they are, where they were in process compared to where they used to be. A reality. They are comparing, if I might say it, an unfinished work with what was a finished work. And one of the worst things you can do concerning me, I talk about myself because no one will get offended or hurt if I do that, but one of the worst things you can do concerning me, if you will ask me while you're working on something or you're in the middle of painting or you're in the middle of working on some type of project, if in the middle of all that you ask Paul McGee, hey, what do you think? Don't ask me because I'm a harsh evaluator. Right? I'm a harsh evaluator because I'm going to judge it based upon what I can see right now. If you ask me, well, what do you think? I I'm going to give you some feedback that, that probably isn't going to be encouraging to you. I'm just being honest with you because I'm going to tell you about what I see right now in the present. And, and my wife has done that with me a few times. She'll say, dear, what do you think? And, and I tell her what I think. Because I'm basing upon all of the information I have at this particular point in time of where this is and what this is. And she'll often respond and retort, well, dear, I'm not finished with it yet. And I understand that, but you're asking me about what I think right here in the middle of the road. You're asking me about what I think right here because I'm not good at envisioning what it will be. 
I'm not good envisioning about what it is becoming. I got tunnel vision, so to speak, when it comes to that. The only thing that Paul McGee can do is comment on where it's at right now, presently. Someone say amen. The book of Numbers is the is the account of the children of Israel, the nation of Israel, in their wilderness journey. They are on a journey, right? From their deliverance from Egypt to their inheritance of the promised land. The book of Numbers highlights their journey from Mount Sinai to the plains of Moab before they would cross over the the Jordan River into their promised land. It is the account uh, for that matter of 40 years of their, their, their travel and their wandering in the wilderness. The book of Numbers then is a transitional area. The book of Numbers is a place where Israel isn't enslaved anymore, but neither is she yet an inheritor and a possessor of the promise. She is a nomad. She is somewhere in between. She is in route. She is in process. And so the Bible says concerning these people that at this particular juncture of their life of being in process, being in route, have been delivered but have not yet been brought in. In the middle of all this, the Bible says the people begin to complain and the Lord is displeased with their complaint. And why why shouldn't he be displeased with their complaint? Because they're complaining about where they are what they received, what they are experiencing, but they're an unfinished work. Amen. They're complaining about a journey that is not yet complete and they're comparing something themselves, a nation that was in process to something back in Egypt that was already completed, a past reality. And that upset the Lord, and rightfully so. He's somewhat infuriated by it because you are comparing something that's not yet complete to something that was. You're comparing something that's in process to something that was in the past complete, a reality for you in the past. Let let, let me give you two options tonight. Help me, Holy Ghost. Amen. Let me give you just a couple of options tonight. I'll give you the option of tasting Betty Joe's or Crocker, maybe that's better if we're baking, I don't know. Betty Crocker's fresh out of the oven apple pie. And then I'm going to give you the option to taste my pie while I'm still adding ingredients before I've baked it in the oven. So you have one that's finished. You have one that's processed. I'm still getting the eggs. But I'm going to allow you to taste it while it's in process and want you to compare it to the other that is finished already out of the oven. Now, I'll tell you this. You can complain about my pie. You can criticize my pie. But you got to understand, as I do, that you are being critical about an incomplete work. Because there's still some ingredients that need to be added to the recipe and there's still some baking that needs to take place in the oven. Can I say it would almost seem unfair for you to hold my pie to a standard of something that's already finished. Someone say hallelujah. The Lord is infuriated about these complaints. He's upset because they are comparing Egypt to their wilderness. They are comparing the Egypt that was, that was complete, that was settled to the wilderness that is a process that they are in. The wilderness is not their destiny that God envisioned for them. Their wilderness is just a process to get them to their promise. Canaan was their promise. Canaan was the land that God wanted them and we got to though stop for a moment and stop comparing the process amen to the past reality that was in the backgrounds of our life because the fact of the matter is sir or ma'am you're not finished yet sir or ma'am it's not complete yet sir or man you've not reached your goal or you are in Someone say, I'm not finished. finished. 
<laughs> You're not finished. And you'll do yourself a disservice to compare an incomplete work to an old completed work. Someone say amen. Don't judge. Don't judge the life that you're right now living. Don't, 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 don't judge this life by an unfinished journey that you're presently on. You know, there, I love to read, you know that, but there are some books I would have left unread had I determined my interest based on the beginning of the book. There are some books I would have left unread if even once I got to the middle of the book, if I just left them on the table, discarded and said, well, or Goodwill can have that, who cares? But there are others that I've had a better appreciation for because I, I looked at the cover, <laughs> I read the beginning, I read the middle, but then I came to the conclusion of how all of this ended and I had a better appreciation for it because it took the panorama of the start, the middle, and the finish to really appreciate what the story was all about. To be able, I could appreciate the middle now because I knew how it ended. I could appreciate the beginning now because I realized how it ended. Folks, I'm saying don't judge it too soon. Don't judge it by the middle. Don't judge it by the beginning. Wait till this thing is over and then do your comparison. Wait till this. Someone say amen. By itself. Not much, maybe. But when I see the end, I'm amazed. Then by the total storyline. We are not sure in chapter 11 of Numbers, we are not sure what the first complaint was about. But in a, shoot, shoot, a few short verses, they are grumbling again. The Bible says that the children of Israel that they wept or they cried out again. Look at it in verse four. The children of Israel also wept again and said. And so this, this isn't their first time. This is them doing some type of complaint again. They're griping perhaps about the same thing that they griped about before. They're doing it again. And they go on this little... <laughs> They go on this little diatribe here uh, beginning to talk to God and they want to know, God, uh, who's going to give us flesh to eat? Who's going to give us meat? to eat because all the time since we have been at the mount of God since we've been at Sinai and we cried out for food all that we've had in this wilderness all that we've had in this process is manna all that we've had in this process is bread he, they said but we remember the fish that was in Egypt we remember and we remember that we ate the fish freely in other words there was no limit it seemed to the fish in the wilderness though God every person has been assigned manna and for that matter they've been assigned a particular amount an omer of manna every day for each individual so that nothing would be wasted and so that the wilderness meals were somewhat rationed but when we were in Egypt when we were in Egypt, we had fish to the plenty. As a matter of fact, most translations relay that the fish and the other things that Israel mentioned, like the leeks and the onions and the garlic, that they ate them, the Bible says, they did so freely. Many translations translate that as meaning that they ate them, the fish, without cost. There's no limit because there was no cost to their estimation. There was no price. It didn't cost them anything. 
Someone say amen. So the Israelites are saying, here we are in this wilderness. Amen. When we were back in Egypt, we could eat to our full without any price attached. We could eat to our full and it cost us nothing. We, we, we didn't have to pay for any of that which we ate. We had all the flavors of Egypt. It went beyond bread. We had fish and melons and, and leeks and garlic. and We had all of this variety, amen, that we could eat to the fill and it did not cost us anything. Someone say amen. But Israel, Israel, you remember, you say, but you've got selective memory. True, the fish were in abundance. You're along the Nile and you're along the de Delta region of Egypt. Yes, there was fish in abundance. And true, there were a variety of things to be found like melons and leeks and onions and all of these things in that region, true. But they were not without cost. Israel, they may not have cost you, amen, shekels of silver and shekels of gold, but it did cost you your lives, amen. Israel, while you're reflecting on the food and the variety and the abundance, you've forgotten that you was a slave in Egypt. While you said there was no cost, amen, while you have selective memory, you better remember the rigor of your labor. You better remember the taskmaster over your back. You better recall the burdens that you were afflicted with. You better recall the treasured cities that you were building for Pharaoh. Don't tell me it was without cause. Someone hear me? But if we don't watch ourselves in the middle of our journey, we'll begin to compare a past reality and say it didn't cost us anything to live that life back there. We had variety. We had flavor. And it was, it was unlimited and it didn't cost us anything. Let me tell you something. You got selective memory. You got selective memory. Don't tell me it didn't cost you anything when your life was ordered by the dictates of another. Don't tell me that it was free when while you ate it, you were bound. Brother Fred, if that's not a cost, then I don't know what is. I know it's easy to bellyache about the bread when you had variety. I know you may moan over the ration portion, amen, to you in your process when Egypt seemed to supply an endless supply, but it wasn't free, and it wasn't at no cost. There was a past reality that you're trying to compare to a present transition. Someone say Amen. So don't judge your process by that past reality. You know what God's trying to persuade the children of Israel? You're in the wilderness right now. Talk to me again when you reach Canaan. Huh. You're comparing apples and oranges. You talk to me again when you reach the land of Canaan. And then tell me about the land that flows with milk and honey. Then show me again the cluster of grapes that two men have to carry on a rod pole. Then talk to me again. Don't compare your incomplete trip to an old reality. Wait until the trip is over. We got too many people bailing. We got too many throwing up their hands because they're making comparisons about where they are on the journey compared to where they used to be. Honey, that's not where the comparison is made. You wait till your feet hit gold. You wait till you see gates of pearl. You wait till you look upon Jesus. Then you tell me what it compares to. They remembered the fish, the cucumbers, 
the melons, the leeks, the onions, the garlic. In Egypt. Had a variety. God in Egypt. Let's boil it down like this. We had choices in Egypt. We had, we had choices. We had choices in Egypt. This wilderness process. This is proven to be quite dull. Bread today, bread tomorrow. Yesterday had bread. Two weeks from now, bread again. Are you okay? Have you ever thought, and just consider, but have you ever thought that maybe God wanted them to have manna every day of their journey in the wilderness so they wouldn't be content to stay in the process? Because that wasn't his destiny for him. Someone say amen. For that matter, consider the bread he provided was in essence for 11-day journey, according to Deuteronomy. 11-day journey from the Mount of God to Kadesh Barnea where they would cross over the Jordan. Someone say Amen. But he extended their bread beyond 11 days because they would then travel in the process for 40 years. And the only reason they did that because they didn't believe God could accomplish through them what he said he would. So 11 day supply had to turn into a 40 year supply. So Israel, before you bespeak against the bread, everyday bread, remember it could have been an only 11 day venture. If you had faith in that God could do with you what he wanted to do with you. But rather you chose to get stuck in the process. And it's people that get stuck in the process that begin to compare their now with a past reality. For that matter, before you speak against the bread, remember this, that you would have, you would have died a long time ago in this wilderness. Had it not been for the bread. They even say, you can read of it in verse 18 of this same chapter of Numbers 11. The Bible says that they said it, it, it was well with us in Egypt. Uh, the English Standard Version says it like this. For it was better for us in Egypt. And the only reason why they say Egypt is better for them is because they're under the delusion that Egypt's perks didn't cost them anything. They want the flesh of Egypt. But it's been the bread over these years that's been keeping them alive in their process that they've made longer. And if they'd only calculated, if they would only understand it, Bishop, the manna, the bread, was nothing more but a precursor to everything else and all of the variety and flavors that God had for them in their promise. You want variety? You want flavor? Don't stop in your process. You want variety? You want flavor? Don't spend 40 years in the process. If you want variety and you want flavor, don't turn your 11-day journey to a 40-year journey. Someone say amen. I gotta hurry. That's... That's my mantra, Brother Josh. I always got to hurry. I need to hurry. 
When I start preaching, I need to hurry. I'm just telling you. The moment I start, you know, we get those six to ten services, you know. I praise God. I like it, man. I'm fine with this, too. Everybody doing all right? Watch this in the scripture. It's interesting. Because part of Israel's complaint problem, part of Israel's complaint problem was a mixed multitude problem. Called the mixed multitude. They're called the rabble. They're called the riffraff. It was a group of people that accompanied the Hebrews, the Israelites, that accompanied them, that joined them when they left Egypt. And they became a part of this fabric of the nation, though they were not of the nation. The Bible says in Exodus 12 and verse 37, we see their entrance into the storyline. The Bible says, and the children of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Succoth. This, this is Israel that's going to be leaving the land of Egypt. About 600,000 on foot that were men besides children. Verse 38, and a mixed multitude went up also with them. And flocks and herds, right, Bishop? And and e and very, even very much cattle. It, there was a rabble. There was a riffraff. There was a mixed multitude that was among the children of Israel. And it is in verse whatever it is. Verse, and I'm probably I'm trying to find it here. It's in the scripture there that the Bible says that this mixed multitude, verse number four, that they fell a lusting. Or they fell wanting. They fell desiring. The ESV says they had strong cravings. They had strong cravings. And the cravings that they had and the strong desires that they had of the mixed multitude, the strong lust that they had influenced the opinions and the tendencies of the children of Israel. Note again the wording of verse number 4. And the mixed multitude that was among them fell a lusting. And the children of Israel also wept again and said, Who shall give us flesh to eat? Many because of that also and the wept again part translate this whole scripture to the fact they interpreted that this isn't the first time the mixed multitude was craving and lusting. They had already done it again because now they're doing it and it says also wept Israel again. It seems they're both repeating to do some things that they have done. Based upon this, many believe the objection that I told you from the beginning of verse number one that we really don't know what they complained about because it was mentioned. Many believe the objection of the first few verses was led by the cravings of the mixed multitude in verse 4 they're doing it again and it causes Israel to weep and to complain again everybody doing alright that's the reason why whenever you read in verse uh, number 1 that when they, that first complaint came the fire of the Lord fell and it burned among them and the Bible says that the Lord burned among them and it consumed them that were in the uttermost or outlying parts of the camp. Just give me a moment here. I just got, you know, 15, 20 more minutes in me. Whenever, this is numbers, read numbers. When Israel camped around the tabernacle, on each side and each direction of the tabernacle, north, south, east, and west, you can read it in numbers, that they're camped under the ensign of a particular tribe on each side. There would camp three of the tribes of Israel on each side of the tabernacle. Like, for instance, on the east, it was Judah and those uh, two other tribes with them. And then there was some in the south, north, east, and west. They camped around the tabernacle. It was encircled by the 12 tribes of Israel. As a matter of fact, you read in Numbers that the Levites, the Jershonites, the Merites, and the Kohathites, those divisions, along with Moses and Aaron, the Aaronites, all of them, close, they camped even closer to the tabernacle and was kind of an inner circle around about the tabernacle. So you have an inner circle circle of priests and Levites about the tabernacle and then you have the other nation of Israel spanned all the way around the tabernacle that was for Israelites the Bible tells us I think it's in chapter number two that whenever they pitched their tent their tent door was toward the tabernacle that's right when those that those that were over on the east their tent doors facing the center 
Those that were on the south, their tent door. So their tent doors wasn't always in the same direction if, unless you consider the direction of the center being a direction. Because they wanted those boys every morning that they woke up and went out their tent as we sing Jesus, is the, he was the center of it all. They got up in the morning, boom, there's, there's, where, there's where worship takes place. There's the house of God. There's where the presence of God comes down. Their mind, their focus, their attention was based upon what was in the center. All of that was for the Hebrews. All of that prescription of where they camped, what side, and what direction was all for the Israelites. But there's no prescription given for the mixed multitude that is not of them. So, if the Levites and the priests have the inner circle, and the other nation have this outer circle, and we're talking about... I mean, those that were 20 years old and upward was numbering in the 600,000s. That doesn't include women and children. If you have that much people about it, you're, you're getting at quite a distance from where the tabernacle is. And if those two places are prescribed for God's people, where does the riffraff and the, the rabble and the mixed multitude got to camp? Somewhere beyond that. Someone say amen. <laughs> and there's no prescription for them that you guys got to pitch your tent toward the center. There's no prescription. And therefore, there's no guarantee that the mixed multitude pitched with their tent toward the presence. And yet they are on the outskirts of the camp. Someone say Amen. If I can say it like this, they are the farthest way you can be from the tabernacle and still be a part of the kingdom. They are in the marginal areas of the camp. See, the Bible even gives, it gives direction. It gives us this in the book of Leviticus. It talks about inside the camp and it talks about outside the camp. It talks about things that are permissible for the inside of the camp and things that are not permissible for theirs should be on the outside of the camp, right? Unclean things, outside of the camp. Clean things, inside the camp. Safety, in the camp. Unsafe, outside the camp. Forbidden things, outside the camp. Permissible things, inside the camp. But now you have a group of people that's on the fringe of what's considered inside and outside. Amen. And it's in this place, these outlying areas, the uttermost part of the camp where the danger lurks. A fine line between clean and unclean. What are you saying, Brother McGee? I'm saying the influence on Israel was by those that were towing the line on the extent of the camp. Their complaints was fed by someone that lived on the edge, the marginal areas of the camp. Someone say amen. Let me say it like this. It's easy to be critical when you're living on the fringe. We don't have time to look into all this. But whenever you get a spirit of criticism going, it will, and it, it does, I've already told you, it will slow the process down. It is in the very next few chapters that we read, even this criticism spirit, it gets on Aaron and it gets on Mir Miriam, and they criticize their leader Moses about his choice of marriage and his authority. And the Bible says that after this curse came from their mouth, this criticism and complaint came out of their mouth concerning their leadership. Because here's the fact of the matter. People considered what they got to be very greatly linked to with who led them. And so since we don't have the fish and the onions and the leeks, we're going to start them piling on criticism towards those who's leading us in this process. And the moment they became critical, the Bible says, what happened to Miriam? 
right? Leprosy came upon her body from the top of her head to the sole of her feet. And the Bible says they could not progress on their journey for seven days. And Aaron's like, oh, Moses, speak to God. Surely this can't be so, this happening. And Moses said, even had, had someone spat in another's face, this would have stopped. Amen. But what the fact is, is this. Because of a critical spirit, everybody had to stop for seven days. The process was hindered. I'll go a step further. It wasn't just hindered for Miriam. It was hindered for everybody. in the marginal areas. I want Israel to where they can focus upon him. I, I want them to open up their tent door and, 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 and see the glory and, and the cloud and, and the fire. I, 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 he says, I got the voice of those that are in the riffraff and those that are the rabble and such that's affecting them. I want them. But, but he says, they're, they're not sold out. They ensnared Israel in the sense that they were the voice that helped Israel forget that it cost them something to live in Egypt. They, they helped steer Egypt through the process of thinking, you know what, the, those so-called benefits that we had re really, really didn't cost us something. When they did, you got you to pay attention. It wasn't free. And the bookend of their story of the riffraff and those on the outlying areas is recorded in verse 34. The Bible says eventually they will come to Kibaroth Hata'ava. Amen. It is the graves of those that lusted or the graves of those that crave. And the Bible says in that verse, there they buried the people that lusted. Because people that compare their process to their past reality they never make it through the process. They never get the satisfaction of rejoicing over an end result because it's always another mile in front of them and never achievable. The Lord combats all of this mentality that he's dealing with in chapter 11 and in the other chapters that that come after this one concerning complaints and criticism. The Lord combats all of this whenever he left and they left Mount Sinai. He has Moses. And you don't see this very often, but a couple times in Scripture, he addressed Moses. He said, Moses, I want you to number the people. Right? And we have a little problem with this because remember, David numbered the people and then he had three choices, right? Suffer of man or, or suffer by God or suffer by pestilence, right? David says, well, I'll suffer by God. And the Bible says he was chastised because he numbered the people. But David did that of his own, his own volition. But here the Lord is telling Moses, I want you to number the people. He tells him in Numbers 1 and verse number 2. He says, Numbers 1 and 2. He says, take ye the sum or take ye the po of all the congregations of the children of Israel. Interesting enough, this is a different type of numbering as it would seem, or word than what David numbered. Take ye the sum or take ye the po. It is actually an idiom in Hebrew which literally means to lift up their head. Lift up their head. Just walk with me. I ain't gonna hold you much longer. I know you can't believe this. But consider where we are. Moses was brought up in the house of Pharaoh for 40 years. Moses Served on the backside of a desert for 40 years. And then he became God's deliverer. In the time when Moses was born was the time when babies should have been slaughtered by their midwives and male children should have been thrown in the Nile River. There are other people in this time frame, if they were in the exact year that Moses was born, then they're somewhere in this 80-year time frame. As Moses is running the census that God wanted him to run, it was numbering every tribe from 20 years old, no limit, and upward. What I'm saying is, there's people that Moses is going to number, heads that he's going to lift, that were the same age he was, maybe older than he was, and younger than he was. 
The lifting of the head being the numbering, yes. But the lifting of the head was an encouragement too. Because as he's numbering the people, and as it's literally translated, he's lifting their head. There's a sense that something is going on. Moses is like, I know you're in this wilderness. I know that you're in this process. But let me lift your head. You should have died in Egypt. Let me lift your head. You should have been killed by a midwife. Let, let me lift your head for encouragement. You should have been thrown in the Nile River. Let, let me lift your head. The stripes on your back should have killed you. Let me lift your head. The taskmaster should have been so hard. You shouldn't have survived. Let me lift your head. You... What are you saying tonight, Brother McGee? I'm saying don't compare your process to your past reality because wherever you are in your journey tonight, let God lift your head and show you you shouldn't survive. You shouldn't have made it. You shouldn't be where you presently are. Judge it however you want, but you shouldn't be here tonight. You should not have made it. I know you're in the wilderness. I know you're in process. But you're alive. Stand with me. Folks, there, there's voices on the fringe. And I'm not necessarily talking about individuals or people necessarily. It can be bad. But there's voices of adversaries on the fringe. That's trying to tell you that it didn't cost anything for you to live the life that you once lived. And that where you are really is no great comparison, amen, to where you once was. Don't judge your process by that. Don't judge where the journey, because you're an unfinished work. You're an incomplete. If you get caught up in your mind and attention that the process is all that God has for you, you'll be swallowed up and overwhelmed of chasing a fleeting finish line. But if you realize this is just a connection point from A to B, that this is just an aid to get me from where I am to where I need to be, then tell those voices, don't talk to me about where I am right now. Talk to me about where I'll be. Scripture says it something like this in the New Testament. It says, judge, judge nothing before it's time. (laughs) It says, judge nothing before it's time. Why? Because to some degree, we're all still in process. To some degree, we're all still in the wilderness journey. Woo! And what that means is, I'm not complete yet. I'm not a finished work yet. You're looking, this is going to be a nice vessel of honor. Amen. But right now, I'm still on the potter's wheel. So don't judge the clay while it's still spinning. Don't judge the clay while the water is still being added to make it supple. Don't judge me to a finished work. You wait till God gets done with me. You wait till he sounds that final trumpet. You wait till he says, well done, thou good. And and then... Somebody needs to be encouraged in the Lord tonight. He's trying to lift somebody's heads tonight and let you know you're still living. I know it's hard sometimes, but you're going to make it and you're not dead yet. Amen. The final word's not being spoken over your life. Amen. My wife's had me come back and look at a project when it's all finished before. And I'm like, babe, this is wonderful. This is tremendous. I couldn't even imagine it would turn out like this when you asked me in the middle. 
Some of you can't even see what God has in store for you. Some of you can't even dream or imagine what he has planned for you. You're in process. All you see is bread. All you see is, seems like no variety. All you see is all the restriction, this restriction, that. But honey, if you hang on, he that endures to the end, the same shall be saved. I'm going to compare then. I'm going to the Holy Ghost here tonight. I'm tired of the voice of the riffraff. I'm tired of the voice of the rabble that says you had it better. It was better. Honey, it cost something. At his cost, I'm living at now. It's his cost. that generation makes it to Canaan. Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun, or Nun. Caleb standing there, 85 years old. I'm just as well able today to go up and claim that mountain. Tell me, Caleb, because he was unlike the others. He wholly followed the Lord. He was a different mindset. How in the world did you make it through the process? So I'll tell you how. I didn't compare the process to where I came from. I kept my eyes. Give me that mountain. Not just a. He had to put. Give me that. Man, we could go on. Let's see. This altar's open. Come on. If you're struggling with the comparison mode of where you are compared to where God brought you from, you're thinking, oh. Longing, longing, it was better. Mark that air from your mouth. Mark that air from your mind. Your unfinished work, your incomplete work, but God's still working on you, and He's going to make you something fantastic. He's going to make you something honorable. He's going to make Okata. He's going to make you something that will cause your past to pale in comparison to what he has planned for you. I have not seen, ear have not heard, neither is it in the heart of man. What God hath prepared for his people. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.